Slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, you know, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello and welcome to the Doing Time Show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855am on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. This is Marissa and I'll be taking you through until 5 o'clock this evening. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners are advised that the following content contains audio images and names of people who have died. The 15th of April 2021 marks 30 years since the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody, which handed down its final report on April 15, 1991. The report made 339 recommendations, but very few have been implemented and there is very little change. Today's broadcast is a commemoration and roll call in honour of all deaths in custody as a lead-up to 15th of April. First up on the show, we will be speaking with Narita Waite, Yorta Yorta woman and CEO of the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service about Aboriginal deaths in custody and about how the Coroner's Court of Victoria has changed the way it investigates Indigenous deaths in custody to reflect recommendations made in the Royal Commission almost 30 years ago. Aboriginal legal services say they don't have enough funding to meet the court's new commitments. And, of course, we'll speak with Narita also about deaths in custody in general. We will then speak to Lex, Lex Watton. And Lex was jailed for his role in a justified protest by the Palm Island community against with the, yet another whitewash of a death in police custody. And he has been stripped of his human rights and politically gagged since his release although since then that gagging has stopped. We'll speak with Lex, Lex about that later on. And then after that, we'll be speaking with Uncle Paul Silver about David Dungay, who died in custody just for wanting to eat a packet of biscuits. And after that, we will cross over to Western Australia and speak with Marianne McKay, who is a wonderful activist, and we'll talk about deaths in custody in WA. But first up, we welcome um, Narita Waite. You're listening to Radical Radio 3CR. I really am not understanding why people aren't seeing the fact that prisons are an integral part of a public health response to a pandemic. Like you, I'm really concerned about whether the data is being released very honestly about illnesses within prison. I have suspicions it's not, but really we need very strong leadership in this country that actually cares about people inside, our most vulnerable populations inside. That's what we need and that's not what we're getting right now. We need to keep radical voices on air Subscribe now. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 8377. And you're back with the Doing Time show. And first up on the show, we'd like to welcome Narita. How are you, Narita? Good, thank you. How are you doing? It is lovely to have you. Pretty good, thanks considering. Now, Narita, I'm wondering if you could just introduce yourself and just tell us what land you're from and and where you're from um, in, the, in the legal service. Mm, sure, not a problem. So my name's Narita Waite. I'm a Yorta Yorta woman, um, but I have lived on Wurundjeri land since um, I was born. Um, and uh, I run the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service, um, which has its head office on uh, Wurundjeri land, um, but we also have satellite offices in regional Victoria across different um, tribal lands of different Victorian Aboriginal communities. 
and we're honoured to have you. Thank you, Narita, for that. Now, I'm wondering if you could just talk about deaths in custody and maybe have a look at the Coroner's Act and some of the changes that have happened to that. And, of course, you'd be aware that this show is about the lead-up to the 15th of April, the anniversary. Can you talk a little bit about about the Royal Commission and, and discuss with us a little bit about the Coroner's Act and why um, legal services can't meet those changes? Mm, sure. Um, so in terms of the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Death in Custody, commonly referred to as Ricky Dick, um, that was established in 1987 um, and examined the cases of 88 men and little women who died in custody between January 1980 and May 1989, and the youngest being sadly aged 14. Um, it found the causes of death were extremely varied, but that their Aboriginality played a significant and in most cases, dominant role in their being in custody and dying in custody. And one significant factor contributing to that representation was found to be social, economic and cultural inequality, which would surprise nobody um, who is familiar with um, the story. So the Commission delivered an interim report in around December 1988, so about a year after I was born, um, the final report on the April 15th, 1991. It made 339 recommendations for state and federal authorities, and some of those recommendations included things like abolishing the sense of public drunkenness, which um, is actually happening in Victoria 30-odd years later. Um, ensuring the principle of self-determination is implied in any policy or program, um, giving Aboriginal minimisations adequate funding, encouraging police to give youth cautions rather than proceeding by arrest, summons or court attendance notice, which sadly um, we still see happen day in, day out, hour by hour here at Val. The police to take steps to eliminate the use of racist or offensive language or the use of racist or derogatory comments in logbooks and other documents. Sadly, again, um, we see this very commonly and we our community are confronted with systemic racism from corrective authorities such as Victoria Police. Um, each and every circumstance, sometimes that can be then just trying to seek help for a family violence situation and being turned back. Um, sometimes it can be them trying to seek help for being a victim of crime, but being refused and instead being classed as the perpetrator. Um, those things are everyday situations for our community members. And there was also an urgent need for governments and other organisations to discuss strategies to reduce the rate at which um, our kids are involved in the criminal justice system, and we haven't seen that. Sadly, um, of those... 339 recommendations, the vast majority remain unimplemented. That means that those recommendations are just sat there on the table theoretically um, and not moved. And what we are now seeing is that our people are actually more incarcerated now than ever before. And those cycles of incarceration mean not only are they locked in prisons, like the name of your show, but they also are excluded from community culture, kin, from the ability to be housed, to have education, access to employment, to progress in life, which then results down to the other generations following that because children can only be what they see and unfortunately all our kids see is systemic racism and overrepresentation in prison, which isn't a rosy outlook at all. Absolutely. And this, this is why, I mean, none of the recommendations have been implemented. No, and uh, it has to bring to mind that wh why aren't they moving on these? Um, why are reports such as Ricky Dick or um, after that, Pathways to Justice, um, just sitting there and not being implemented? Is it a result of incompetence? Is it apathy? Is it racism? Is it all three? Um, that's a question that I can't answer, only they can, but unfortunately it's coming at the cost of Aboriginal lives, but also generations of our culture and community. Absolutely. And in fact, look, thank you so much for explaining that to listeners. And I think one of the, the interesting points here is that, for example, with Auntie Tanya Day, and, and she died mm. in, in, her, in the cell. And really, this is all about police investigating police, isn't it? Correct. Um, we've been calling for um, an independent body to investigate complaints against police because when they're investigated, there is no independence, there is no transparency, there is no accountability. Um, but time and time again, those calls remain unanswered. And we don't see a change in police culture. Um, in fact, um, if I look over the last seven years of my time here at VALS, um, I feel like we've had more incidences of serious police misconduct now um, than in my first couple of years. Absolutely. And in fact, 
haven't there been at least five five Aboriginal people with, um, across Australia that have died since the beginning of March this year? Yes, that's correct. Um, and those deaths um, are sad and haunting. And, you know, when, when faced with that, you just wonder, why are we not acting? Why are we not saying this is enough? Why are we continually being relegated to the deal with it later pile rather than mm. let's act on this now? Because... Um, from my point of view, we don't have a just and democratic society until it's just and democratic for all, not just a privileged few. Exactly. So what do you think about the coroner's court of Victoria and how it wants... I believe it's, it wants to change the ways that it investigates Indigenous deaths in custody. Yeah, that's correct. So it's got a new protocol for coronal investigations into Indigenous deaths in custody which was released on the 22nd of September um, 2020. And features of that direction included that the state coroner or delegated coroner will always attend the scene of a death in custody of an indigenous person, um, that within 40 hours of that death, they'll contact our service to facilitate legal advice for senior next of king on their rights in relation to the coronal process. The directions here will be convened within 28 days of the death to confirm the coroner's investigator and due date for coronal brief and potential scope of inquiry, um, as well as a number of other things, such as, more importantly, a cultural brief to be prepared for investigating coroner, which is a great progress step forward. And that hearings will be con convened in a culturally appropriate manner with acknowledgement of country, smoking ceremonies, in-court display, and use of culturally significant items and appropriate warnings when names of deceased persons are used. Um, so a lot of those features are fantastic, but one that causes us the most difficulty um, is that the court now contacts us within 48 hours of that death to facilitate legal advice for senior next of kin, um, and then you, of course, have to prepare for directions hearing within 28 days. Um, that's a lot of resource-intensive work because um, we're not always just talking about a person who has died in a prison. Um, it could be a police cell. It could be um, in the custody of ambulance. It could be in the custody of any corrective authority um, or state authority. But um, sometimes we also, not sometimes, um, sadly, uh, increasingly we're seeing a number of Aboriginal deaths um, via suicide um, that are going through that coronary process. So it's very resource intensive. We weren't provided any additional funding to do this role. Um, we, that means that in order to do it, we have to not do tenancy matters or employment law matters or discrimination matters, which are also important to those clients who are affected um, in order to prioritise these very, very important matters about making sure that there is a possibility of our people having um, some kind of system reform to protect further generations from the same harm. It is interesting what you're saying because what it sounds like to me is that governments are not getting with the programs Basically, there's, it's really fantastic to have these changes, isn't it? But what about oh, the funding? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, but um, in order to um, fully enact um, these changes, you need to be able to refer uh, these families to an Aboriginal legal service that is fully funded and resourced to do that work, which we are not. Um, you know, our funding is primarily through the Commonwealth um, with very little, um, by the way, of funding from the state which means that we are resource-constrained and trying to deal with ever-increasing rates of incarceration. You know, in one year, through our custody notification service, we saw those notifications rise by 22%. Um, and trying to deal with that demand on top of additional new workloads is incredibly, incredibly hard for my very dedicated lawyers and staff. It's very difficult. I'm hoping that, you know, that they start to implement some of these recommendations, for example, looking at police investigating... not police not investigating police. So, for example, the coroner possibly attending the scene of death where practical instead of relying on the report of the police officer conducting the investigation. Yes, that, 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 that would be fantastic. And um, I, I think we are going to see benefits in this practice direction, but I think it's important we make sure that all elements are well-resourced so that it is, can be meaningful and beneficial for our community. Um, and also, I think that if we're going to be looking at accountability and transparency in this space, then we should be doing it in all of our justice spaces and all the spaces of authority and um, particularly looking at implementing an independent role to oversight the implementation of 
the recommendations of Ricka Dick in Victoria, um, the recommendations of Pathways to Justice, um, the Sentencing Advisory Council, um, subsequent coronal inquests, um, all of these things should be oversighted to ensure they are being implemented and that there is that positive opportunity for change. And that could be best done by an Aboriginal Social Justice Commissioner. But unfortunately, 16 years later, we're still asking for that Justice Commissioner and haven't had any positive progress. Um, so at this point, I really do say enough is enough. And um, well, let's start acting on this uh, government. Please work with us, not against us. Absolutely. And, and indeed, some of these recommendations to um, Narita that I was just looking at before we finish is in regards to prison being a last resort, and I believe that's recommendation 92, that imprisonment should be utilised only as a, as a sanction of last resort. That's certainly not what we see. Um, no. You know, in my jurisdiction here, uh, what we have seen um, is the continuing poor law and order policy coming out of this government and governments previous to it, which has resulted in bail changes that have criminalised very, very petty such as shoplifting, which is what landed Veronica Nelson um, in prison, where she subsequently... Um, it's what seeing 10-year-olds and 11-year-olds remanded in custody versus being out of community to get therapeutic support, which they so often desperately need. But again, um, we, we're more content to lock up people rather than deal with social problems that exist in our society, such as lack of housing, um, lack of support, um, and also just a very poor understanding about how to treat people with environmental illness and disability. Absolutely. What was that last one? Dis people with disability? What did you say? Sorry? You there? Yes. You there? Hello? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, what was that? <laughs> Uh, the last sentence? That, uh, people with disability are often poorly treated by the criminal the criminal system. Often they're criminalised um, for behaviour as a result of their disability, um, seeing them supervised for years and, um, as compared to when they are a normal offender, which is disastrous for their future and outcome. Very disastrous. And in fact... I just have to have a sip of water there. Um, you know, a lot of this could have been prevented. <laughs> Excuse me. We don't have the money to have a whole buttons on in our station. <laughs> but, uh... No. But, you know, maybe you could do something um, with, you know, the millions upon millions that um, is being spent on incarceration. Um, it's $950 million spent on prisons each year in Victoria alone. So just imagine if you're putting that into community in terms of housing, support, education, employment pathways... And also dealing with mental health issues and disability, which often land people where they are, um, what society could actually look like. Absolutely. Imagine. It's important to have communities, not prisons. And then just one final thing. Isn't there an imp a recommendation in the Royal Commission that looks at putting in the deaths in custody notification services? That's not in every state, is it? Yes, um, but there isn't an actual accurate live record um, kept of death in custody except for the one that is produced by The Guardian. Um, the Commonwealth um, admitted um, in during the parliamentary processes that they hadn't, they don't monitor or keep an eye um, on death in custody occurring nationally. And from my understanding, there isn't the same going on here um, in my own state. No. So that is incredibly poor, and just shows you again that they can spend eight billion on in additional incarceration across Australia in one year, um, but none of that can go towards things like monitoring death in custody, those themes, and trying to address them and prevent them. Absolutely. Narita, thank you so much for coming onto the program and I really tried my best to just give a little bit of an overview. We only really just scratched the surface about the Royal Commission and the recommendations. Are there any final comments that you wanted to make before we finish? Uh, no, just I really urge people to get out there and um, educate themselves on the issues and uh, write letters um, to their parliamentarians and their local representatives and try and keep the pressure up to make change for a society that works for all of us. Thanks so much and keep up the good work. You too. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 AM on digital and online. 3CR Radical Radio.
More than 70 innocent refugees are still being indefinitely detained in detention centres and secure hotels around Australia. Over recent months, many fellow detainees have been released onto bridging visas. Those remaining are desperate to know why they are still held. It is indefinite, it is cruel and it is unlawful. Every day a group of supporters protest this brutality outside the Park Hotel at 701 Swanson Street, Melbourne, where 11 men remain trapped and whose hopes are fading and whose mental health is declining. The aim of the protests is to raise awareness of the situation for the general public, but also to show support and solidarity to the men inside. It is also for the approximately 200 refugees still held offshore. Please come along any weeknight at 6pm or weekend at 3pm. And you're back with the Doing Time show. And we're now speaking with Lex Watton from Palm Island. And I'm hoping I'd like to welcome Lex to the to the program and, and talk about the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody as a lead-up to the 15th of April um, anniversary when the report was handed down. Hello, Lex. Welcome to the program. Yes, hello, Marisha. It's great to have you. We're still here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, Lex, what do you think about all this? Another year has gone by, and what change has has there been? Much change, do you think, in in regards to the recommendations? No, not a lot. And if there has been, then uh, they've done it without um, uh, consulting, I suppose, the indigenous population right across the country and especially those who have um, suffered through, um, you know, events surrounding deaths and custody. So, yeah, uh, not a lot has changed. Uh, it's, I think there needs to be a review into um, what has been um, implemented and what hasn't and uh, go from there. Absolutely. And, in fact, um, is... I'm not sure of what the sorry. I'm not sure of what the customs are in in regards to. Are we able to mention the name that the the man that died um, in custody on Palm Island or not? No. No. So the man who who died on on Palm Island that was um, I'd say around 2004. Yes. Yeah, and that was. I'm, I'm sure you. It's like it was yesterday, isn't it, for you? Oh no, sir. I sure. Well, I moved on. You know what I mean. Uh, but um, the thing is, um, it will always be fresh in the back of your memory. Where I think with this particular case was one of the cases that come close to actually. I think we had the very first police officer charged with any particular death in custody after you know three. Um, inquest into the um, thing, but there was a lot of political heat at the time, I suppose, where uh, when you look back and if you followed it at the time, then you would see that uh, there was always continual um, upheaval around uh, getting to the bottom of it and the truth of the matter and what actually happened. Yeah. Exactly. And in fact, generally speaking, Lex, isn't it true that that really there's a, there's a lot that needs to be changed? In particular, if if we look at um, Veronica Baxter, for example, in in New South Wales, that she she was a transgender woman, and they they needed to have um, taken out the hanging points in the prison where where she died. She actually hung herself on a bed sheet. Well, they, I suppose with that particular thing, that's why they had a royal commission to Aboriginal deaths in there. That's why they had these recommendations, what you said, these hanging points and stuff like that. So, uh, and um, did they have cameras in there? You know, and was there a twenty-four hour monitoring stuff like that? But, so, uh, and then even when you first go into custody and what support is given, you know, by way of your mental health condition to check your yeah, mental health 
less um, thing, you know, for people in those specific fields to um, think, because I actually experienced that after being arrested for the matter here on Parliament when um, taken into custody and twice in council I was um, had doctors see me to check to see if um, for my welfare and stuff like that in the sense of uh, mentally and stuff like that but what I could see at that particular time they didn't want me to have any bruises beforehand so that I could come back and say well if it happened you know what I mean yeah. And, uh, so yeah. basically, you're saying, which, which is true, the way you were arrested was 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 callous and in, and inhuman, and your family yeah. was affected as well. Oh yeah, that, you know, uh, that's a whole new, not new, but bigger yes. thing again. You know what I mean? And that's why we actually had a suit against the state of why and how I was arrested and how they reacted to. The incident here on arms, and they were over the top. Where, um, you know, uh, they knew a lot of things, and then they still continued to set as small as what is it? Uh, you wanted to direct the attention towards something else, and not the real matter at the time. So, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Lex, to be honest, I just wanted to hear your voice and I, I wanted you to be involved in the show because I think that, you know, they're, they're, you, were, you were basically stripped of your, of your human rights and you're, you're a courageous fighter and, you know, I, I'm really happy to have you on the show. I've, have, I've got four interviews today, so it's going to be a bit difficult to chat for too much longer, but I'd really like to have you back in a couple of weeks, if that's okay, Lex, at some stage. Uh, yeah, well, hopefully I can think, well, I'll be around, I suppose, and just, and I, I don't mind chatting because uh, that yeah. way you keep people's memory alive about what happened here. And yes, as you said, there's a lot of things to the particular thing. There was a suit that was taken out against the state. There was all these other um, legal wranglings, I suppose, where thing, and it's always a... a a living memory within myself that I, I don't mind discussing it because um, it gets people's attention, I suppose, so that they know that uh, this is what really happened at that particular time, but will continue to happen to people, I suppose. Yeah. That's right, because at the end of the day, Chris Hurley was promoted and compensated, and, and you were imprisoned for doing the right thing. Yeah, that's true. That's really it's police yeah. investigating police, yet again. Yeah, scapegoating from the real issue. You know, and uh, I was only reading maybe two weeks ago, some academic was talking about the um, the failures within um, the, um, the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths and Custody and all of those recommendations. And like I say, um, you know, and this is a non-Indigenous bloke, so he probably got caught the attention, but what more do we need to do to uh, make changes? I don't know. Uh, exactly. Whether uh, only other ways to go and file a suit and say that they failed us in all of these recommendations and then think we could go on back to my particular case with the suit and the officers at the time, not one of them understood the um, um, the um, recommendations within the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Debts and Custody. So, and these are exactly. police officers. And so that goes to show that, and that was only the 17 years this year. So, was that 20? Was, no, it'll be. Patty? 13 years since the Royal Commission oh. into Aboriginal Debts. Is it 13, yes. 13 years, then since the um, recommendation? So, yes. Um, That's right. Oh, I know. Thank you. <laughs> Lex, thank you so much for coming on to the program. Thank you so much, and we'll talk again yes. soon. Right, yeah, Marissa. Thanks. You take care. Um, right, yeah. See ya. Thank you. Bye-bye. Three C R.
There are many ways that you can keep up to date with 3CR news, events and programs. With Facebook stripping content, it's a timely reminder to focus on the communication channels and platforms that the community controls. The 3CR website is a great spot to catch all your shows via audio on demand or scroll through our range of podcasts. It's also where you can sign up to our monthly newsletter, buy yourself a new t-shirt or check out archival audio from past broadcasts. Of course, we're also on Twitter at 3CR and Instagram at 3CR Melbourne. But don't forget our mighty AM band. Catch us anytime on 855 AM. Keep in touch. 3cr.org.au And it's approximately 4.30 and you're with the Do and Time show. And coming up next is Paul Silver, who is the uncle of David Dungay. And we're going to be speaking with him as a lead-up to the 15th of April anniversary in regards to the Royal Aboriginal Sorry, sorry, the Royal Commission, um, and has anything really changed? Have the impl- the recommendations been implemented? Hi, Paul, welcome to the program. Hi, thanks for having me. It's great to have you. So, um, we're in 2021, Uncle Paul, and... Hello? Yeah, you still there? Sort of coming you broke up. All right, okay. Okay, is that better? No. Are you there? Why not to call? Hello, Paul? Can you hear me? I can hear you, but I don't think you can, can hear only, me. I can only hear you on speaker. If you can hear me, that's fine. Can you hear me? Yep. You can hear me. I can hear Okay. So, yeah, so let's talk about um, David Dungay, your your nephew, and I was just saying, have the recommendations been implemented and has there really been all that much change? Yeah, you know, since the 1991 Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody, um, almost 30 years ago now, um, you know, they've only implemented a handful of those recommendations and... You know, over the past 30 years, there's been a drastic rate of you know, Aboriginal deaths in custody that has occurred. Um, you know, we see last month there was five Aboriginal deaths in custody that have occurred in in, in across four weeks. Um, you know, that shows that this, this inquiry hasn't changed anything. And, you know, the handful of, handful of um, recommendations that they had implemented um, didn't prevent any Aboriginal deaths in custody. Um, you know, I would say if they had that inquiry for a reason, um, all of those recommendations should have been implemented at that time. Um, you know, and a lot of those Aboriginal deaths in custody that occurred after that inquiry, I believe may have been and could have been preventable um, if those were implemented at that time. But, you know, it, it hasn't changed since that inquiry. That The deaths are still continued. And, you know, then after a death in custody, you have the coronal inquiry and they also put forward recommendations as well. Um, so if you look back at the first death after this inquiry, they would have released recommendations in regards to that death that should have been implemented. So, you know, people's getting killed and all their blame is blaming, all they're blaming is systematic failures and not the individuals for their actions. Systematic racism, you mean? Yeah. Well, in the case of David Dungay Jr., they, you know, the correct New South Wales Corrective Minister um, made an apology in regards to... Um, he said uh, something along the lines of the systematic, the systematic failures was a part of, like... Basically, because the guards wasn't trained in positionless asphyxia, um, they said that it was the system that failed David, not the individual. So, you know, like, yeah, the systematic racism kills us every day. Um, you know, if you're black in custody, you're 95% more likely to come out in a body bag. 
Exactly. Didn't the leading criminal barrister believe that there is sufficient force in the evidence about the cause of David Dungay Jr.'s death in 2015 to make a prosecution for manslaughter or assault of the guards involved viable? Yeah, definitely. So we've, received, we've, we've got advice and what you've just explained is correct. So we've forwarded that to the Department of Public Prosecutions, but they've rejected it. Um, and that's just based on seeing just because it wasn't a recommendation out of the coronial pro uh, out of the coronial inquest process, they said they won't even look at it. And you know we've also asked Safe Work New South Wales to conduct an investigation due to the death occurring in a work environment in a workplace. Yeah. And um, they've declined on two occasions. So you know this shows. Um, Back again to the systematic racism. If, if you ask the government to do something and you're black, they won't do anything. So it's really this uh, I can't breathe scenario again, isn't it? I can't yeah. breathe. You know, like he, yep. the, the guard stormed his cell, didn't they? And he, all because he wanted to eat a pack of a packet of biscuits. And yeah, then he exactly. had an so, Yeah. He wasn't he was, helped. Yeah, so a quick... quick um, uh, like a quick story of the event. David Dungay was, you know, safely secured in his cell, being cell 71 in Long Bay Correctional Facility in December of 2015. And um, he wasn't no medical, there was no medical or security emergency at the time. Um, he was placed in the cell by a female officer. Um, and then he was asked to hand over the biscuit. Um Justice Health staff advised corrective officers to remove the biscuit, the biscuit, not David. Um, so, yeah, they stormed the cell at approximately 2.42pm on the 29th of December and held him down despite his, you know, his begged he couldn't breathe and over, I don't know, probably six or seven times in the first cell and then continuously when they moved him from cell 71 to cell 77, they then pinned him down again on on a bed uh, with his neck on the edge of the bed um, near the bed base. With one officer had his knee up on his upper back, one on his lower back, and another officer had was holding his head down. There was another officer had his legs in a what they call is a number four leg lock. Um, he's continuously saying that he could not breathe. A nurse then injects him with 10 milligrams of midazolam and with less than a minute, he takes his last breath. And, you know, there's been non-publication orders on, on the film, but I will say the guards was actually stunned when he took his last breath. They said, oh, fuck, he's gone. So, yeah, yeah. the response from them was appalling. Absolutely. Absolutely appalling, and I believe that there was a, a protest on, on Saturday um, in Sydney, and you, you were a speaker at that protest about with you, on behalf of your nephew? Yeah, yeah, definitely, yes. I was a speaker at that protest that um, we held at Town Hall. So it was a National Day of Action, um, you know, coming up to 30 years of the Royal Commission. So there was one in Melbourne, there was one in Brisbane, one in, one in Sydney, Town Hall... Um, and a few other places as well. So, you know, we attracted almost, I'll say, around 4,000 4, people, you know, and was out there in the streets demanding, um, you know, the New South Wales Parliamentary Inquiry that due to hand down their recommendations, etc. Um, you know, we really want an independent Aboriginal body to investigate future Aboriginal deaths in custody. Um, you know, we're, we're not for police investigating police. That makes that makes no sense at all. Like even saying that, police investigating police. Um, so we're not for that. So we we're demanding an independent Aboriginal body to investigate future Aboriginal deaths in custody. I don't want there to be future Aboriginal deaths in custody, but if the systematic racism ain't going to stop, the people are still going to be killed. Um, so with that independent body, they will be providing the evidence to the coronial process. And not the police. Um, you know, um, we know police stand, un, 
stand behind that unknown blue coat of we'll protect our colleagues no matter what and you know, providing evidence to a coronial process in regards to a death is is a very serious, very serious process, and we we want you know families to be reassured that 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 investigation is conducted by a First Nations person. That's right, and you know it's it's quite harrowing footage. It's, it's pretty horrible. It's only been partially released to the public, hasn't it? And I imagine it yeah. would be would have been awful at that inquest, particularly for his mother. And also, yeah, exactly. David Dungay also had not only diabetes but also mental health problems as well. Yeah, exactly. You know, he he had mental health issues, and um, you know, he was a diabetic as well at the time. And you know, the the coronial findings was, you know, pre-existing medical conditions and use of force was a contributing factor. Well, so to speak, me and you've got pre-existing medical conditions. But if six blokes jump on us, we're 95% more likely to die. Um, exactly. So you take the use of force away. I wouldn't be speaking at this interview. My uncle would be still alive. Um, but that's clearly labelled on the findings. If they'd given him the biscuits, he'd still be alive if they'd let him eat the biscuits. Exactly. You know, like... I've been Seriously. in similar situations. I've been in similar situations being in juvenile detention. Um, you know, and they say was concerned for his welfare, which they say they was. Let him eat the biscuits and, like, fuck, sorry for language. How is a packet of biscuits, eating a packet of biscuits, yeah. going to kill someone? Like, are you seriously... You've yeah. got to be in the head. Like, you've got to... Cut, like. Fuck. Yeah, like there's got yeah. to be something wrong with your brain, or you've got yeah. no brain. Like eating a packet of biscuits is going to kill you. Like, come on, like they're going to hurt you, David. No, well, exactly, exactly. He eats biscuits every day. You've got to eat to survive. Like that's exactly right. Oh. It was well, all... it's been really great having you, honestly, and I'm hoping I can have you back very soon because I'm going to be doing a commemoration on. Uncle Ray Jackson, would you be interested in being part of that show? Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, because I'm, I'm sure we, I'm sure you'll have a lot to say. So we'll we'll continue our discussion. I'm hoping to um, organise that um, after the 15th of April, and I'd love to have you as part of that show. Yeah, most definitely. And just one more thing, um, yep. you know, to any of the listeners out there, or if you've got a, a loved one or a friend or someone you know in custody, um, you know, just... From personal experience, let them know that you love them and you always care for them no matter what because an Aboriginal death in custody could occur at any time at any facility just being just based on the colour of your skin. You know, that's really powerful and it's, and it's very, very true. And, you know, it's it's useless making changes to policy and training procedures, isn't it? And issuing, issuing yeah. an apology if racism is, isn't, isn't fixed. Exactly, you know. You you could you could um, fix all these policies and procedures, but the main thing is you've got to fix is the systematic racism that kills us, you know, every every minute of yeah. the day. Just before you go though, what land are you from, and what land was? Ah, uh, Kempsey, Dungaree. Where? Dungaree. David too. Kempsey News. Yep. Say it again. Dungaree. Yep. That's good. Spelled D-U-N. Yeah. G. H U double T I. Honestly, Paul, it was it was so lovely to have you. I really enjoyed your company, and we'll have you back in a couple of weeks. Thanks so much. No worries. Thanks for having me. Take it easy, guys. You too. Bye. Bye. Hi, we're the Marindas, and you're listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 AM. What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. Tune in to Done By Law. An informal and irreverent look at the law. Critical insights and analysis from diverse community perspectives. Done By Law. 6pm Tuesdays.
and you're back with the Doing Time Show. And it's now crossing over to Western Australia. We've had a marathon day today full of yarns. Um, and now we're going to be speaking with the wonderful Mary Ann McKay. Hello, Mary Ann. Hey, Claire. Good to have you. Now, we've been talking all through the show, and I'm sure you've got your you, you've got your stuff to add as well about the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody and the lead-up to the 15th of April when the report was handed down. What comments would you like to make about the Royal Commission, in particular about Miss Dew? Um, well, basically, you know, they said prison was a sanction of last resort, you know, and we've got a yoga here that was taken into custody after asking for help due to domestic violence. Um, you know, and they locked her up for fines and she passed away because she was taken into custody. Now, if they would have actually um, worked with her on the issues that she was going through, there would have been no need for arrest when it came to the fines. Like, we're talking about a young woman, you know, that was loved by her community, loved by her people, and there was no need for them mob. If the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody recommendations were implemented well, then police would never have locked her up for fines in the first place. You know, our people are always being jailed for poverty-related issues. And there was no need for them to take her that day. The systemic racism that Brother was just talking about just then on your previous um, speak there, um, that's what needs to be combated. And this was spoken a lot in the Royal Commission, the systemic racism that exists, the culture within the police force and custodial facilities. And if they actually worked on those systemic issues the way that they were told 30 years ago, a lot of the people that we have lost in custody right across this country would still be alive today, including Miss June. Well, that's right, because, I mean, they were going on about how she was faking it and, and she was stereotyped. And that caused well, the, primary, the, lack, the lack of primary health care when it comes to our people in prison is something that is raised a lot. The issue is raised every day, every week, every month, every part of the year. So it's it's really hard to understand why that issue isn't being dealt with. You know, people constantly say, the system will constantly say, our police officers and, and our, our um, prison guards are not medically trained. They're not doctors, they're not nurses. Well, that's exactly right. Bring in a doctor, bring in a nurse. If someone's complaining about a medical issue, they can't diagnose that patient and they shouldn't try to diagnose that patient. So Miss Jew was taken to the hospital and sent back. And you can't... When people are, are going through medical issues, there should be every single action taken until a diagnosis is given. So there should have been x-rays taken for a start. You know, there should have been a proper examination of her, of everything she was going through, and then she wouldn't have been back at the facility that she was at in the first place. Absolutely. That that was a dreadful, dreadful scenario and, and a severe, severe lack of duty of care. Well, there is. It's, it's their own negligence. And this is what we've been fighting for for so many years and before I was even old enough to stand up and speak. You know, our elders were fighting. And what it comes down to is the state and Commonwealth governments arguing over money because the Medicare system is taken away from prisoners because they're under the care of the state and the Commonwealth don't want to give money to the state when they're under their care. And it's like, well, excuse me, our people are not an economy for you to argue about. These are people's lives that are at stake and they have a duty of care to provide the best medical quality, you know, care that a person should be afforded when they're out in the community. It shouldn't change just because they come under the care of the state. So the federal health legislation needs to be changed, Section 19 needs to be changed so that the Medicare system can become available to prisoners, regardless of them being under the care of the state, so that our Aboriginal medical services, our AMSs and all the other services that provide, you know, mental health care and everything else that comes with that, NDIS, everything, so that our people can service our people. Because we know what's best for them and we can get access to those doctors and nurses and hospitals 
and that they can provide that care better than the state can <laughs> because we care and we come with a heart and compassion, whereas the system just looks at our people as criminals that don't deserve anything because they're in jail and that's bullshit. Oh, sorry, like that's crap, you know? Yeah. No, look, it's it's a dreadful scenario, horrible. And um, I wanted to invite you on the show because... I, I just wanted to hear what you what you thought about the Royal Commission, and also aren't you going to be a, a, um, a speaker at the upcoming protest on the fifteenth of April? Yeah, yeah. So I will be a speaker on Thursday um, for our protest in Perth, but um, I'm only going to speak for a couple of minutes because sure. I think it's really yeah. important that the voices of our families yeah. that are being yeah. directly impacted speak. So. I lost my partner, my son's father, to custody, you know, 20 years ago. And he is a perfect example of where the Royal Commission said hanging points need to be removed in all prisons. And if they would have done that, he could be alive today. So that's just one example. But we've got people out there where their voices are being ignored and they're not being heard. You know, I advocate constantly, you know, so I'm always speaking about these issues. But we've got a lot of our families that are being impacted that don't, that aren't afforded that opportunity. So on Thursday, a real focus is going to be on bringing those families up to the stage so that they can talk about what's going on with their loved ones and what they think needs to improve so that someone else doesn't go through what their loved one went through. You know, and the Royal Commission, to me, was just another report that was so important and valuable to our people's lives that was just shelved like the government do constantly. And yet they've got all these non-Aboriginal Royal Commissions that are being put forward through the systems and that, and those legislative um, recommendations are being implemented. So what makes it different for our people? This is 30 years. You know, and the the level there was only ninety nine deaths that they investigated back then, whereas now we're we're hitting close to five hundred deaths since the Royal Commission, and they still haven't done what they were supposed to do back then. And it's just it's a sad state of affairs, and their neglect in their duty of care for our people is just getting worse and worse and worse. Where it's shame, like they need to have a bit of compassion and heart. You know, and it's just, it's disgusting. They need to stand up and do what's right. And remember that these are people that are loved by their families, their community. They're not just someone who's been put in jail because they've done something. They're human beings that deserve to be treated with dignity and respect, not like an animal, you know. That's exactly right. And I believe that Easter Melbourne is also um, planning an online event for Monday night, the 19th of April, called Genocidal in Action. Yep. And yeah, so I'll be speaking on that as well, yeah. Yeah, that starts at 7 o'clock, and it's an online yep. event. And rather than giving out the specific details, because we're running out of time, it might be better if people just jump on the Istra Melbourne um, website and have a look at that. And finally... Yeah, um, and it's also on Facebook too. If people have access to Facebook, they can just have a look, yeah. Just go to the Istra page as well, yeah. Oh, thank you. Okay. And finally, Sis, I'm wondering if you could just tell us what land you're from, and I should have said that at the beginning, but I always try and set the scene there. Oh, that's all right. I'm a Yorgabilia from the Wadjuk Nyungar people, um, you know, the southwest of WA there. I want to thank you so much for coming onto the program, and I, I, I want to. I've done four, four. Um, it's all Aboriginal-led today, four people, and to me, that's really important for people that are Aboriginal to be speaking about deaths in custody. No, that's right, Susan. Just before you go, um, I just, you know, when it comes to um, David Dungay, rest in peace. Yes. You know, the Australian government should be following the American mob and what they've done with the Derek Chauvin trial for George Floyd because it's the exact same circumstances and there was no um, legal jurisdiction for them to use the force that they used. So we should be seeing these police officers and these custodial guards being charged with the same crimes that they're investigating over there. They need to take a lead on that and remember that people deserve justice, you know, not ignorance. I'm so glad you mentioned George George Floyd because that is definitely connected. 
Well, that's right. And I've been watching the trial. We up to day 23 tomorrow, I think, because they're a day behind. So day 23 starts tomorrow. And I've been watching the whole trial. And it just reminds me of what our people go through here. And it's upsetting that we don't get afforded that same opportunity to have criminal prosecutions put forward like they're doing over there. So they really need to have a look at that system and start doing that here because these people are murdering our people and we need to get that through their heads. This is murder, you know, and it's not just manslaughter or a breach of policies or whatever. It is murder and they need to be held accountable just like our people would if it was the other way around. Absolutely. And, of course, we've we've got Wayne Fallon Morrison as well. This yep. is another I That's can't right. scenario. Yep. There seems to be a pattern yep. here. Yes, no? that's right. And they need to be held accountable to the full extent of the law like our people are every day. That's right. Thank yep. you so much for coming onto the program and, and keep up the good work and we'll talk to you soon. Yep, all right. No worries. Just have a good one, eh? Thanks for having me. Take care. Bye. Okay, you too. See ya. Bye. So it's up to us, the people... We need a treaty in this country. We need the end to the war in this country. And the only way we can do that is through a peace treaty. Not the one you see in Victoria, not the one you see in Queensland, not the one you see in the Northern Territory, because they talk treaty and still lock our people up. They still kill our people. They still desecrate our land and our water. A treaty means peace. A treaty means equality. And a treaty means justice. Thank you. Subscribe to 3CR in 2021. Feed Radical Radio. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. From, from Marissa from the Doing Time Show and we're going out now with Blackfella and Whitefella. See you next week, 4 to 5, on a Monday. Bye. I'm
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.